Well, I am thrilled to open the Bible with you today. We are going to dive right into the Word. In fact, we're starting a brand new series today here at Grace, and this series is entitled True Identity. True Identity. And I was really taking some time to chew on this in my preparations and just thinking through some of the things we're dealing with in the world today. And what I recognized is I think that this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue that not just Christians, but people in general are facing today. We have a significant identity crisis. Too many of us don't know who God says we are. We have literally accepted or bought into the lie that the world has given us about our identity. I like to say it this way. Through the course of this series, what we're going to do is right from the scripture, we're going to begin to paint a brand new picture in our hearts of who God says we are so that we can dispose of the worldly picture that's previously there. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen, amen. I want to ask you to do something with me. I know you're comfortable and you're happily seated, but I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet with me. And don't worry, I have a treat for you today. We're only going to read one verse together. <laughs> God is so good. I want us to begin reading today at, in Genesis chapter number 2, verse 18. We're going to read it out loud and we're going to read it together. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Let's read. Ready? Go. The Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Look at that. Do me a favor before you see it, find two people right around you. Just look them right in the eyes and say, that was gracious. <laughs> God is so good. You can be seated. Praise God. I love that verse. It just tells us very simply that the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. And his answer to that is, I will make a helper suitable for him. Some of you know my wife, Star, is actually probably in the air right now, flying back from Hawaii. She uh, went to Hawaii for a week. That's where she's from, uh, born and raised, and all her family is there. Unfortunately, she recently lost her grandfather, and uh, she went back for the funeral. But um, I can tell you this, it's been about a week that she's been gone, and uh, this verse rings very true to me. <laughs> it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> I love my two children. They are absolutely amazing. But I, I just realized this week again, there's something special that only mama can bring. <laughs> Daddies, we're a little different, huh? God is so good. She'll be home today. I am thrilled for her to be back, and I bet the kids are probably like, oh, Jesus, thank you for a mama, right? <laughs> Oh, man, I want to I dive into this today because as, as we're sharing over the next few weeks, I, I really believe that God is going to minister to each one of us personally. A lot of times we come to church, and if we're not careful, we can, we can come in and worship, and we can hear the message, and we can say, yeah, that's, that was really awesome, and we kind of check a box, and, and then we just go on about our day. But I'm really convinced that a portion of, of this service, this specific portion of teaching is really to equip us to tear down lies and to build up faith in our hearts and in our lives so that we can combat the enemy and all the foolishness he's consistently throwing at us. So as we go through this today, I know that every one of us has a different story. All of us have a different background. We, we come from different places. We walk through different things. But I would encourage you that as we go through this week, or excuse me, as we go through the next few weeks, that you would take the time to really say, Lord, what are you saying to me? In fact, can we do that right now? Let's just bow our heads and I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll jump right in. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come to church today, to worship you, to be with fellow believers 
and to hear your word so that we can grow in godliness and increase our faith. Lord, we position ourselves today to have ears to hear. Lord, we thank you that no distraction will stop us from hearing what you have to say today. And in fact, the word that goes out would be deposited in our heart like a seed. And our prayer, Father, is that we would produce fruit from this word and the rest of the word we hear over the rest of these weeks. We pray that we would produce fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold evidence that your word is central in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes today, I want to give you three points, and I believe these points will help drive home the message today. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you've heard me say that note takers are history makers. So for those of you history makers in the room, point number one is this. In Christ, rejection is replaced by acceptance. In Christ, rejection is replaced by acceptance. Notice Genesis chapter 2, 18 again. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You guys know the context of the story. This is the creation story. God has made many things up to this point. He has said that these things are good. But he gets to the point where after he creates Adam, he realizes that it's not good for man to be alone. So his answer is right here in the text. He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. This is all before the fall. God makes Eve and Adam and Eve are there together. They are in relationship not only with God, but also with one another. So their vertical relationship is correct because they're walking with God, but also their horizontal relationship is correct because they're in fellowship with one another. So this is a beautiful picture of how God created it to be. And I believe that from the beginning, every single one of us has a need to belong. How many of you would say that you you enjoy being a part of, we can list a, a, new, uh, a few different things. We can say we enjoy being a part of a local church. How many would agree with that? Good, good. Uh, for those of you who are employed, how many of you are, enjoy having a job? You're glad that you're a part of something doing that. Uh, for those of you who have a family, how many of you would say you, you're glad you have a family and that you're in relationship? What about friends? Anybody have friends and you're grateful for? There's a need inside of all of us, I believe, from the very beginning to have these type of relationships and to belong. But we see that prior to the fall, all was good in the garden. The only thing that was not good was the fact that this man was alone. So God gave him Eve, but. Genesis chapter 3, we see that the fall takes place. We see that Eve eats of the fruit and gives to her husband with her. He also eats. Then their eyes are open. Something happens where Adam and Eve realize, oh no, we really have messed up. So much so that Adam and Eve go on to hide themselves and, and literally they're afraid when they hear the voice of God. Something drastically changed. This beautiful need to belong and this beautiful provision of God to give us relationship with him and relationship with one another, something gets tainted and all of a sudden, Adam and Eve know what rejection feels like. All of a sudden they know what it feels like to be ashamed. All of a sudden they know what it feels like to feel as if they have to hide something. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I can guarantee that the vast majority of us in this room know what that feels like. The truth is, however, that in Jesus Christ, that rejection that happened at the fall, in Jesus Christ, that rejection is replaced by acceptance. 
Pastor Zach was just talking about our GAP program, really, really thrilled about what God is doing through that program. I mean, we have some amazing apprentices, and what a blessing to be able to take this thing to another level and even offer it even further to the Grace Covenant family so that young adults can be a part of this, old adults can be a part of this, whoever wants to be a part of this can be a part of this. But listen to this. I've recognized that in things like this, when you, when you normally or traditionally apply to go to college, you may fill out an application. You fill out that application, you write your, your, your letters, you get everything ready, everything's lined up, you have it proofread and it's polished and it's ready to go, and you send out the application. The reviewers there at the university will then begin to review your application, make sure you fit all the criteria, things are right, and if so, you get an acceptance letter. This acceptance letter is really cool because when you get it, you, you probably have your envelope and you're kind of nervous at first, like, oh, goodness, okay, is this it? And you're holding your letter. You may get your family and your friends around and you're ready to open this thing up. And, and as you open it up, you begin to read. And when you get to the point that says your university is offering or extending acceptance to you, something of joy floods your heart. And then your parents are like, yes, oh, we have to pay for that. <laughs> But there's an acceptance that takes place, and we all know that acceptance usually feels amazing. And especially when you compare and contrast acceptance and rejection. Because many of us know what it feels like to go on a job interview or to apply for a university or whatever it may be and get the letter that says the exact opposite. Thank you so much for your interest, however. But I'm grateful that even though sin entered the world through the sin of Adam and Eve, we are so grateful that, that what we messed up, God fixed in Christ, and now rejection has been replaced by acceptance. Can somebody say amen to that? Once we were far from God, but now we have been brought near from, by his blood. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 says in verse number 19. Paul's speaking, and he says, consequently, now let me pause there, because when you hear the word consequently, you're like, well, what was he saying before that? I need to understand. Paul was talking about the fact that the Gentiles were once far from God. He's saying, you used to be far from God. However, by the shedding of Christ's blood, you now have been brought near. And Paul goes on to say, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Let me tell you this. You, me, all of us who have given our life to Jesus, we once were far from him, but by the shed blood of Christ, we've been brought near. Now we are members of his family, and we are a part of his household. Can somebody say amen to that? My children are with me. You guys know that. It's just the three of us this week. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing. I was thinking, both of my children, although Joshua's older, he's 12, Judea's eight, both of my children have full rights and full access to everything that belongs to the Ellington family because they are members of the family. See, my son, he's a little older than my daughter. He has a bigger appetite than my daughter. So sometimes we'll make him something to eat and he'll eat that and then he'll go, can I get something else? And because he's a member of the family, we say, yeah, yeah, go, go, go check out the fridge and see what you want. And because he's 12, he'll sometimes come back with something sugary, and I'm like, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. It's not dessert time. But we'll tell him, hey, whatever you need, it's, it's right there. He knows that he doesn't have to go grocery shopping. He doesn't have to financially contribute at this point. Whatever is mine belongs to him also. Why? Because he's a member of the family. My daughter Judea, yes, she's only eight. She's only been with us eight years. She's the newest member of the family, technically. But she also knows that because she's a member of the family, what mom and dad have, she can have as well. See, there's something to be said about this membership in the Christ. 
When we really accept this gift of grace by faith, we become members in the family. We are accepted in the beloved. And as people who are accepted in the beloved, we now have privileges that we didn't have before. One of which, and probably the best one, is that we're right with God and that we can have true and open fellowship with God again. This is just a simple benefit of being a member in his family. Point number two for those of you taking notes. In Christ... Guilt and shame are replaced by innocence. In Christ, guilt and shame are replaced by innocence. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 10 says this. He answered, this is Adam speaking. He said, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid now, you got to understand the story here. We just pulled this verse, but you got to recognize something. God made this beautiful planet and everything that was necessary to sustain life, and he placed Adam and Eve right there in the midst of it. They now have the privilege of enjoying all the goodness of God, like I mentioned earlier, fellowship with God and with one another, and delicious fruit from trees, and who knows how many there were. I mean, this is a, an amazing place to be. So they're there enjoying this until Eve decides to talk to the serpent. The serpent somehow deceives Eve into eating this fruit that God told her not to eat. She eats it. She gives to her husband who's with her. Who knows what Adam was doing at this point, but he's there. He takes the fruit. He eats it as well. Their eyes are open. They realize they are unclothed. But listen, oftentimes we talk about the fact that they realize they didn't have physical clothes on, which is truth. We see that because they go and clothe themselves here in a few other verses. But I think for the first time ever, they also realized that they were exposed in the sense of their sin that they never had before. Now it's in the open. Now they recognize right and wrong, and they recognize we did something wrong. So all of a sudden we see here that God is walking through the midst of the garden, and they hear him coming. And just like little toddlers who've done something wrong, these guys probably look at each other and say, we got to get out of here. They take off and they hide somewhere. And God, I don't know, (laughs) I love this, how God asks questions as if he doesn't know. He's, hey, where are you? (laughs) Where are you? And that's when Adam says, well, I heard you in the garden, and, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Notice, in Christ, guilt and shame are replaced by innocence. But before bringing these things to Christ, before surrendering ourselves to him, before being honest with God, guilt and shame, they reign they reign. And man, I'll tell you, if you've ever experienced guilt or if you've ever experienced shame, it's not a pleasant master at all. Guilt and shame will hit you when you least need it to. Guilt and shame will consistently remind you of your inadequacies, your shortcomings, your failures. Guilt and shame will try to derail you time and time again and tell you that you'll never be good enough, that you're not good enough today. No matter how good you try to be, it just won't work. Guilt and shame will haunt you if you let it. But the truth is, when we give ourselves to Christ... We choose to say, Lord, here's my guilt, here's my shame, here's all my shortcomings, here's all my failures. I surrender that to you. And Jesus, in a sense, says, I paid for that on the cross. And because you surrendered it to me, you are now covered under the blood. Your sins are forgiven. Guilt and shame cannot stay. When we grab a hold of this, it changes us in the inside. 
It changes us down deep to where all of a sudden that guilt that used to creep up time and time again, if it tries to creep up again, we now declare, nope, I'm right by God because of what God has done for me. So in Christ, guilt and shame are replaced by innocence. Listen to this. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How many of you have ever tried to measure the distance between the east and the west? I didn't see even one hand. (laughs) Pointless, right? As far as the east is from the west, there's other implications that, that some scholars have brought out about the, the, old, the old tabernacle or the old temple and how, how the east gate and the west gate and the distance. between. I mean, these are just beautiful pictures. But if we literally just think about the direction of east and the direction of west, can we measure how far these things are? Apart? It, it, it's, it's a perfect picture for us to realize that when we are honest and we confess our sins to the Lord, this is how far he separates us from these things. As far as the east is from the west, this is how far he has separated us from our sins. And I don't know about you, but if God has separated us from our sins in that way, if God says he will remember our sins no more, then I don't want to be the guy that's constantly reminding him. See, the devil, he is the accuser of the brethren. He's the one constantly trying to bring up the past. But when we realize that in Christ, guilt and shame has been replaced by innocence, when we realize that in Christ we are now righteous in him, when we realize these things, we can stand up and say, although I have made mistakes, although I have not been perfect, me of myself, I cannot do it, but I am not by myself. I am in Christ. And because of what Christ has done, when God sees me, he sees me as innocent, spotless, and righteous. Amen? Amen. One more thing I want to give you just as a, uh, a verse to take note on is Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. If you haven't had a chance to read Romans chapter 8 or even the book of Romans in general, it's an amazing book, just chock full of great doctrine. And, and I want you to hear this, though. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This word condemnation, you can literally say, therefore, there is no guilt for those who are in Christ. So the next time the enemy tries to remind you of your past, I encourage you to to take this verse and say, no, no, because I'm in Christ, there is no more guilt and condemnation. There is no more of that because I'm in Christ. If you keep reading in Romans chapter 1 down around verse 4, it says, for those who walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh, meaning that when we choose to walk according to the ways of God and not according to our old person, there is therefore now no condemnation for us. Amen. I told you guys my story before about my father and some of the things we've walked through when, we were, when I was a, a child, but <clears throat> something that kept coming back to mind as I was preparing for this sermon was uh, I wanted to just drill in a little bit on something that I, I mentioned before. I mentioned before that because my dad, uh, let's just say his sin, his shortcomings, his uh, consistent failures in certain areas, it really negatively affected me. Now, my little brother, he's three years younger than me. Uh, he, would, he could stay, say the same thing. There were some things that affected him, and it affected both of us in different ways for the most part. Uh, but one of the things it did for me is it caused me to clam up and to get really shy and timid, to be honest, to where um, when we were in large groups and things, I, I never even wanted to, to really be out front or for anyone to see me because for some reason when, when this happened with my mom and dad and my dad left our family, uh, I was just a little boy, and I told you at nine years old is when I finally found out that my dad went to prison for 25 years. And, and, and all that just did something in me to where I began to somehow, some way, take responsibility for his actions. I actually thought the reason my dad left our family was because I wasn't good enough. 
And I just took this. And I don't know where it came from other than the enemy just working his, his works. But it, I took it and I began to hide that inside. And, and I began to literally cast that on every relationship that I had. So when I was with friends, when I was with people I didn't know, when I was with adults, when I, it didn't even matter. When I, when I, even as I got older and I would go to work and things, I took that with me and I tried to cover it up. But deep inside, I felt this responsibility. Like, you're the reason your family fell apart. If you would have been good enough, your dad would have stayed. And this guilt just kept me bound and under this. To where any time there was opportunity to step out and to do something, I, I, I would kind of withdraw. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm not good enough. And, and any time relationships would start going well, I would kind of withdraw. Well, any moment now, this is going to fall apart because I'm not good enough. And I really began to embody this so much so that it was literally crippling my life. You see, there was this internal struggle because inside of me, I knew like, man, there's something in me. I can feel it. Like I'm, I'm supposed to do something great on this earth. I don't know what it is, but I'm supposed to do something. This is even before I knew Jesus. But then I had this, this guilt that I was holding on to. No, no, you're the reason your family fell apart. In any other relationship or any other endeavor you go after, you're going to be the reason that falls apart. And it wasn't until I began to be discipled and taught what God's word says. It wasn't until I began to read it for myself. And I stopped just reading the Bible. Good night. I'm getting emotional already. I stopped just reading the Bible as a book. And I started grabbing a hold of this thing and saying, this is God speaking to me. He's speaking to me. See, I didn't have a dad in my life but I've always had a father. And I didn't understand that for so many years. So I would just go through my life just timid and shy and afraid and this internal struggle of I want to do something great, but I just, I don't want to ruin everything. And God began to tell me, Marcus, first of all, that's not your fault. Your dad chose those things. Those were his decisions. And I want you to understand that you don't have to associate with that anymore. You don't have to link yourself to that anymore. Be free from that weight that you should never have had to carry in the first place. And let me tell you, little by little by little by little, I began to walk in freedom. But it took war. It took me taking the word of God and declaring it over my life. You guys remember the series about our all-time favorites. I taught you out of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I took that verse. I personalized that verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. That I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I begin to declare that I am not guilty. I am righteous. And the devil would say, no. No, 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 you're a mess up. That's what you are. And at first I would believe it. But then I began to combat him just like Jesus did in the wilderness and say, no, it's written. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for Marcus so that Marcus could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And as I began to say that, I began to believe it. And guilt and shame and insecurity and timidity and all those things that were limiting me began to fall off and I began to walk not in pride but confidence in who God says that I am. Listen, at some times I had to stop listening to who even I said I was. 
Because there was a picture that was being painted in my heart for so long. You're a mess up. You're a failure. It's never going to work. But God said, let me get my word in you and let me paint a brand new picture. And let that picture be the source from which you live your life. It changed everything. I'm speaking to someone today who's dealing with guilt and shame. I want you to know you no longer have to deal with that anymore. You don't have to walk out of here stuck under the power and the bondage of guilt and shame. Today you can walk in freedom. It's you choosing today to say, I refuse to believe the lie of the enemy. I am who he says that I am. Amen? Amen. Amen. For those of you keeping track of time, point number three, your final point. In Christ, weakness and helplessness are replaced by self-control. In Christ, weakness and helplessness are replaced by self-control. Listen to what the scripture says in Galatians chapter number 5, verse 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Here's the truth. We all have a, a need for strength, whether it's projected strength or it's real strength. <laughs> Some of us try to meet this need by working out. We want to look strong physically, so we're in the gym. And just hear me, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with going to the gym. But some of us use that, we hide behind that. I feel fragile inside, so let me fix my outward so that I can look the look. Some of us hide behind careers. Well, let me get as high, up I can, as, high as I can up this ladder. Because then people will believe I'm strong, I got it all together. Some people behind, hide behind their possessions. Man, I, I have this kind of car and I live in this kind of house and I have this kind of jewelry or fill in the blank. But the truth is, outside of Christ, there is no true strength, at least not strength that matters. The truth is, outside of Christ, we are weak and helpless. Some of us deal with recurring issues in our lives, recurring sin, recurring cycles, because we're trying in our own strength to figure out how to will it out of our lives. Some of us have bought the life. We just, if we just positively view it enough, if we just in our minds just get it, just look at it as if it wasn't there and look at it as how it could be enough, then, then we can will ourselves out of that situation. I'm here to tell you we don't have enough willpower. There's not enough willpower in the world to keep us from falling back into the nature of sin outside of Christ. Adam and Eve tried to use willpower when, or I should say Eve did, when she sat and talked with a serpent. And he reasoned her right out of it. Doesn't it look good? Well, it does look good. You know, God doesn't want you to, you know, God's trying to, you know, let me tell you what God really knows. And try as she may, she fell right in the trap. Too many times we fall into the same type of trap. We try to put effort and, and discipline in place. Not that those are bad things, but we try to use those in the forefront to, to just will our way out and to work our way out. But the truth of the matter is we need God. I was talking to my wife last night. I'm being real fresh and recent with you guys. Talking to my wife last night, I said, sweetheart, 
something I realized again and again this week is that outside of Christ, I'm, I'm pointless. <laughs> outside of him, I, don't, I just cannot do anything right. Outside of Jesus, it's just Marcus is a mess. But I always remind myself, thank you, Lord, that I'm not outside of you. Thank you, Lord, that I'm tucked in, hidden in Christ. And because I am, I can do things right, but not by my own strength, not by my own power, not by my own might, but by his spirit. Because the fruit or the evidence of the spirit inside of you is the love and the joy and the peace and the patience. And to bring it home to this point, it is the self-control that we need in order to live this life the way God has called us to live it. The harder we try in our own strength, the more we mess it up. But the more we hand it over to Jesus, the more he helps us to get it right. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for us today as we prepare to close our service. And as I was praying about what we should pray about, I was thinking about this over and over again. If you're anything like me, you live in the world, but you're not of it, right? We're, we're in this world and we see what's going on on TV or on social media or wherever you get news sor- your news sources. You, you, you see what's going on and it's like, my goodness. People are constantly urging you to follow this or follow that or be like this or be like that. And if we're not careful, we want to fit in so bad that it's easy for us to start gravitating towards certain things, certain trends, certain cultural uh, icons. But we as the people of God have to consistently come back to, Lord, what do you want me to look like? Lord, who do you say that I am? That's what I want for my life. I want to align what you say and what I begin to say so that my identity is not shaped by what the world says, but is shaped by what your word says. So as we pray today, I want to pray for a couple of folks in here. First, I want to pray for those who recognize, man, I'm just way off. On the outside, everything looks good. I'm strong on the outside. My makeup is just right. I got up on time to make sure my hair was just right. My outfit matches and coordinates just right. No one could tell that there's anything going on inside. But you know, you know what you're dealing with. I want to pray for you if that's you today. If you feel like, man, I, oh, if people could see the outside, or excuse me, the inside, they would know just how much help I truly need. And if you're feeling like that, let me just throw this out there. We all need help. You're not alone in that. None of us in here are perfect outside of Christ. If it wasn't for what he'd done, oh my goodness, we probably wouldn't even be in this room today. But secondly, I want to pray for those who are stuck, like I was for so many years, in guilt and shame. The truth is there are various things that can cause us to have that type of guilt, have that type of shame. For some of you, it may be the same as mine. Situations with your family and somehow you've taken that on. Some of you have been abused and somehow the enemy has told you it was your fault. Some of you may have made mistakes in your marriage And maybe your spouse has forgiven you. Maybe they haven't. Maybe you've gone through a divorce and the enemy's constantly coming back and saying, see, you might as well give up now. You're always going to do stuff like that. Anything that's good, you're going to ruin it. Listen, I want to tell you right now, that is a lie. That is a lie. And I want to pray today and I want to ask you to pray with me 
Let's agree today that we're no longer going to allow the enemy to ruin us like that. We're no longer going to believe his lies. We're going to allow God to paint this new picture in our hearts so we can see that our identity is truly in Christ. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads today. If, if you're one of those folks that I just mentioned, as I'm praying out loud, I would encourage you to pray. Now, listen, I'm not asking you to pray out loud so that everyone can hear you. But even under your breath, just begin to mutter to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm no longer I no longer want to identify with those things. I no longer want to hold on to that guilt or that shame. Or, Lord, I no longer want to dress it up on the outside and make it look right. I, I really want to surrender this to you today. And there are others in this room, they may not be falling into one of those two categories, but you know, man, I need help with my identity in Christ. I encourage you to pray along. I'll pray out loud to cover us, but I encourage you to talk to God. He's faithful, He's loving and kind. <laughs> He's willing for us to come to him. He desires us to come to him. So there's no need to be ashamed in his presence or afraid. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to humble ourselves before you. Lord, we believe that when the word is taught, the Holy Spirit, the teacher, guides us into all truth. Lord, I pray that even as I was communicating these things, that by the power of your spirit, you are ministering to us on an individual level. Lord, I pray for those right now who may be in this place, who on the outside, things look like everything is okay. Everything is dressed up just right. But deep inside, deep inside they know, I, I don't really even know who I am. I need God to help me. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that whoever that may be in this room, whoever may be feeling that way, that right now they're tell, talking to you and saying, no longer will they buy the lie of the enemy no longer will they follow the trend of the world. No longer will they allow the world to paint the picture in their heart of who they are. From this day forward, they're accepting the fact that in you they are right, in you they are accepted, in you they are loved, and that you have specific design and a specific plan for their lives. So in the name of Jesus, we come against the lie of the enemy, and we say no longer will we buy into that. Father, I also pray for those who are straddled with guilt and shame those who the enemy is taking advantage of and holding things over their head and saying, it's just a matter of time, it's just a matter of time, in a sense, just tormenting them with these thoughts. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that right now that guilt and that shame be completely demolished and released from their lives. That instead of taking up guilt and shame, they're taking up the gift of grace that you've given them and the fact that they are the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, just as your word says in Psalm 103, 12, you have separated them as far as the east is from the west from their sin. So, Lord, if there's sin that's unconfessed, I pray even right now that people are confessing and being honest with you about what they have done. And even now as they confess it, you're forgiving them, you're forgiving them, you're forgiving them. Your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So today, Lord, as, as that is being done, we receive your forgiveness and your cleansing, and we thank you that you're forgiving us and cleansing us and taking away that guilt and that shame in the name of Jesus. Lastly, Lord, I pray for those who have experienced rejection in their lives. Lord, I know that that's a hard thing to overcome, and they may feel like, they don't even want to put themselves out there anymore just because it may happen again. Lord, I pray that you would flood this room with your love and that everyone in this place would know that you're the God who accepts anyone who willingly comes to you. You said whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Lord, that means this technically applies to all of us. You won't reject us 
If we simply accept you, you accept us. Lord, I pray that acceptance will reign in this place. Not acceptance about if we measure up to the world standard, but the acceptance that only God can give. You've accepted us into the beloved. Lord, let that be the new train of thought that we have. Let that be the new reality we live from. We are accepted by Christ. Therefore, rejection can no longer stand. So, God, we thank you for these things. We receive your freedom today. And we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands and thank God today. Praise God.